Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. This week, we've got with us Sue. Hi, everybody. And we've got Jera. All your favorite things are problematic. Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, no, I've been called out. Everything is problematic. <sighs> <laughs> Everything is problematic forever. Everything's problematic. <laughs> Before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander. More on them a little later. But our show is also made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards. From our thanks on social media up to our homemade watch-along commentaries, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I know that sounds little, but it means a lot to us. We love getting your feedback. So as you may have guessed, we've got a topic today. It's a main topic, and it might not be the most popular topic. Kids, we're talking about unpopular opinions. And when we originally were brainstorming this idea and someone else came up with it, I was like, how is this not just our show? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not totally wrong. By definition, we do try to come at Star Trek from a bit of a different perspective than a lot of other Star Trek fan discussions. And I think we have come up with some maybe unpopular opinions in past. Um, See, for example, (laughs) our episode on the inner light. Yep. But we reached out to listeners and we had unprecedented engagement. Oh my gosh. You guys have so many opinions. We love it. Sue, do you want to give some background on some of the trends? Well, sure. But I just think I want to note a little inside baseball that back when we first started even brainstorming our show, not this episode, but the show, Women at Warp, we uh, started a brainstorming document that we called Female Trek Opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Memories. It's Trek Opinions. By females. Females. Obviously a joke title. (laughs) Yes. um, Something that I I love about us. Um, Yeah, so we, so many comments. And more so than like what the opinions we got back were that interested me was that we got a lot of comments that directly contradicted each other mm-hmm. <laughs> so i just very basic because i mean this was probably expected we got a lot of i hate pulaski and i like pulaski like well those <laughs> those can't both be unpopular so then that gets me thinking like well what makes someone think that that opinion is unpopular i mean maybe someone has only listened to our back catalog and right. no other <laughs> fandom and they're like Everyone loves Pulaski, guys. Right. Uh, I think more people like Pulaski than we realized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's still a lot of people who don't. Right. But it wasn't just Pulaski. It was like anything. There was, was, you know, Voyager is just TNG 2.0. And Voyager is absolutely not TNG 2.0. And they weren't, like, even fighting with each other. These were comments that were, like, at different places in the reply thread. And it just, it struck me as kind of funny and interesting. Opinions are like warp cores. Every ship's got them. Mm, except if you're Romulan when you've got a singularity. <laughs> we don't talk to Romulan. Unpopular <laughs> opinion, singularities are dumb. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I I did love that I think a lot of people felt like, you know, I this is a place I could share my unpopular opinion because Star Trek fandom on the internet, while maybe not the most toxic fandom, has elements of challenging areas, especially on Twitter. Things can get a little sticky out there. We will acknowledge that. So it's nice that people were like, I feel like this is a safe space to share this. I was a little bit worried when when we put out the call that we'd get (laughs) fights in the comments or like people coming after each other that I considered like reminding people of our comment policy in the initial post. And I am very happy to say that that was unnecessary. Thank goodness. Thanks for being cool, everybody. And I don't think I saw anybody like fighting mm-hmm. in in the comment thread on, on any of the social media platforms. So that's super great. But it, it was interesting to see that uh, it seems anyway, that when you ask people for their unpopular opinions, they read that ask as tell me what you don't like, which is not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> We seem to get that a lot, just asking for people's opinions and getting responses of just what people don't like. And I'm starting to think that's just the nature of the beast, isn't it? With being on the internet. Yeah, it could be. And we received so many comments that we had to narrow them down somewhat. So I think, I mean, certainly when I was picking ones, I tried to pick ones that had a little bit of context. Like, it's really hard for us to, you know, if you say something, if, if someone says something like, Voyager is the best Star Trek. But like no reasons. I can't. Re- I don't really know how to judge that opinion other than like yes, I subjectively agree with that. So tried to pick things that had a reason or that the reason was like self evident in the the argument. Let's maybe say discuss rather than judge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We're not going to judge anybody's opinion today, <laughs> except each other's. Yeah. No. But but seriously, I mean this. This episode, this topic, it's all in good fun. You know, nobody is wrong or the worst for their opinion. We shall not be hating on any real living humans. Nope. In truth, we would leave the judging to Judy. (laughs) And Q. Although, if if you're not into Q, that's cool. We'll talk about that. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay, man. This is all easy, breezy, beautiful, my cover girls. As is our, our want. We are using a lot of these as a jumping off point for discussion. So let's put it that way. Oh, and I'll also say that it was just, I found it a little bit challenging to evaluate some of the Picard ones. And so we're going to keep it pretty minimal on Picard because first of all, it's hard to say what is an, a popular opinion when we've had less than a year to, you know, for opinions to foment in the fandom. And also that we just spent the last two podcast episodes on Picard. So we're Picarded out. So much Picard. Understanding that, uh, we're going to focus more on the other series. A Picard one may slip in here and there, but it's it's hard at this point to say like wh- whether there's a fan consensus. Yeah. And we generally tried to group them. Mm-hmm. So hopefully there, there will be a thread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why don't we start, before we get to, to dishing through our comments, with some of ours. And I will bite the bullet. I'll go first. And I will say that I am not a fan of Klingon culture. Okay, okay. Don't hate it, but like, it it doesn't do anything for me. I've seen it all. It's it's everywhere, and it just. <laughs> I mean, uh, when I say I've seen it all, I mean like I've watched every episode. I don't ignore them. I don't like skip them if I'm doing a rewatch. 
it just it doesn't strike a chord with me and i much prefer the the sneaky devious devious deceit there we go of the of the romulans that's where i go says the slytherin so you're not saying like i have been to my share of klingon bachelor parties and i am over it pain sticks (laughs) i think what it is for me is like the machismo that the culture Mm, is built on and i just like i don't i don't care sorry yeah it doesn't mean i don't like individual klingons yeah but like meh (laughs) i mean i think it helps that klingon has the most developed language yeah so even from like a nerdy linguistic side of things, I can sort of appreciate that and that language is tied to culture. There's a hundred percent Orientalist elements, especially if we go all the oh, way absolutely. back to the original series and uh, the brown face is not cool. No. no. But overall, I mean, it's I think it can be cheesy at times, but I, I'm super I super love it. So, Jared, do you have an unpopular opinion to share? My unpopular opinion is I actually really like the TNG Romulan uniforms. <laughs> I love the TNG Romulan <laughs> uniform. Okay, okay. Give me a strong shoulder pad any day. Exactly. It, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing that to me says power <laughs> like <laughs> like your uniforms making you look like a linebacker with a bull haircut. <laughs> I think my favorite part, though, is the the cropped pants. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was watching an episode recently where a Romulan beams onto the Enterprise D, and, like, the way that he, he's, like, twisted when he beams on, and, like, <laughs> the because he's, 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 like, his back is facing the camera, and then he turns around before he moves his feet. I would have to describe it that way because you could see the boot is twisted when when he like turns. And because of that movement, like it is very clear that those are rubber rain boots. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the entire point of that story is that they're wearing rubber rain boots. Oh, Amazing. wow. Well, I just think that they're underappreciated fashion icons. <laughs> okay. You know what? We accept that, and we love you still. But the, I'm not into blonde Romulans. Blondulans? That's a step, a bridge too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does kind of clash. It's part of the uniform. It comes with a some box dye. <laughs> it's like becoming Robin. You have to look exactly like the previous Robin <laughs> to be a member of the Romulan community. What about you, Grace? I know I need to fall on this sword, and all I can really say TNG is not my favorite series. It's okay. That's fine. I have gotten grief for that before. I will say I like it. There are things about it I love about it, but it's not my favorite. And for some reason, people seem to assume with my age group that that is impossible. So... Well, if it makes you feel better, we did have we have a category that I started by titling TNG is problematic because a lot of people had quibbles with TNG. Yeah. Quibbles and tribbles, you see. Yeah. So I don't think you're alone on that one. And I also think it would be okay even if you were just like it's okay (laughs) to like Enterprise, even though it's not my favorite. It's okay if it's your favorite. Not that we're here to judge. Not that we're here to judge. 
I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately, but everybody's favorite is somebody else's least favorite. It's true. And it's all okay. You know what? It's all okay. It's all part of life's rich pageant. <laughs> life's rich space pageant on TV. And to that point, um, I'm going to start jumping into some of our listener comments. Mm-hmm. Oh, heck yes. And I mean, I think this just reinforces what we were just talking about. Rachel on Twitter said, you don't need to watch every episode of every show. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that unpopular opinion. Sometimes it's just a matter of, I don't have the time for this, or I don't have the patience to watch 50 years of television Mm -hmm. before getting kind of worn out on it. Yeah, we had a few arguments along these lines or around like how you should introduce someone to Star Trek. Mm -hmm. But I would certainly agree... First of all, that t- life is too short to waste watching TV sh- you're not interested in. But um, also <laughs> that it's okay, I think, to introduce someone to Star Trek by watching episodes that you know that they're going to like. Mm-hmm. And yeah. hoping that they get hooked before you introduce them to Code of Honor. So <laughs> <laughs> this that was not my experience with Star Trek, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it was my experience with Doctor Who. Yeah. Where I didn't, I had maybe seen some like Tom Baker PBS episodes when I was real little, but like I wasn't a Doctor Who fan. And somebody sat me down and showed me Blink. Mm-hmm. And after that, I went back and I watched all of New Who. And then I went back and I watched whatever I could find of classic Who. And I, I think helping, and, and that is because like my personality type is a, a completist. Like I want to watch everything, even if I don't enjoy yeah. it. But not everybody is like that. It's true. And I know I I try to be like, I try to be a completionist, but there are some things I just do not have the energy for. And again, sitting down and watching 50 years of TV in one go, that'll make my brain melt out my ears. I can't do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Shara, do you have one that you'd like to share with us? Well, this isn't my opinion, but I'm going to validate it. So we had uh, an opinion from Karen who said, QEPs. Our Q episodes are boring and annoying. And we had a couple other people second the general I don't care for Q sentiment. And, you know, I was like, no, that's not true. And then I thought about it and I was like, actually, the majority of like of the majority of Q episodes, I would probably agree. Yeah, there's a lot of boring ones. There's a lot of we didn't know what to do. Uh, Q shenanigans. <laughs> Bye. Like, I really I like the idea of Q. I like John Delancey as Q. I really dislike Q2 and mm. the Q in the gray and the DS9 one and the one with Amanda Rogers. And <laughs> so then I'm like, which ones? But I like, I really like the one where Q is a human. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of Q as a judge and particularly in the best of both worlds. And we have to yeah. do an episode on all the Q episodes at some point, but. I think that that is totally fair to not not care for Q. Do you mean Encounter at Farpoint? No, I meant, or sorry, I meant um, All Good Things. Okay. Ah, yes. That is pretty much Q at its best, I'd say. My gut reaction to this is that I like Q. Mm -hmm. But when I think about that more, I think I like Q in seasons four through seven of TNG. There's a certain time and place for Q. (laughs) That is seasons four through six of TH. I mean, you can also just question the idea of, you know, having omnipotent aliens at all. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, I mean, we also have the proto-Q in Squire of Gothos, but definitely presents some challenges just in terms of, like, what is your worldview if there are aliens with godlike powers? Right. But, yeah, so fair thought. Fair thought. I will say I'm I'm about 50-50 on the Q episodes, and I like John Delancey, I like Susie Plaxon, I like the Q that's in Death Wish, that's also a well-done Q episode. But also, why they all? Why are they all white? Why are they all white, and why are they all human? Like, there's a lot of questions there. Do they only appear as white people to white people? Well, I get that they're always showing themselves as humans to humans, but yeah. even still, they shouldn't all be showing themselves as white people because all of our characters on the shows are not all white people, right? Yeah, we we, we see your shenanigans there, and we acknowledge them, Karen. <laughs> And we've got one here from Avi that I'd like to share, and that is any time any Federation crew eats actual non-replicated meat, I find it incongruous with supposed Federation ideals in that it interferes with the natural development of another life form. I find it strange that basically only Vulcans are called out as plant eaters. Which is a fair point, especially the Vulcan part. I mean, you'd think in the wide, wide universe there are a fair amount of species that would say we don't do that, just in terms of cultural crapshoot out there there's got to be a bunch of them well it's interesting to me that avi is using like the prime directive Mm -hmm. in this case because this i mean in in my brain that refers to like sentient pre-warp civilizations yeah right that that method of non-interference so i'm i'm not sure how much that applies to to non-replicated meat. Mm-hmm. However, I do think this is a, a decent point that, like, if you don't need to raise animals for slaughter, why are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is an episode, again, because I it was on recently, of Deep Space Nine, where Keiko and Miles are, are having dinner, and Miles is talking about, like, his mother cooking. And Keiko makes, like, is shocked that she would cook and handle real meat. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think they, they do touch on it a little bit, but not as much as as they could have. It does make you wonder, though, if, like, cows gamed warp capacity, <laughs> a culture of them, would that change the willingness to eat them? Like, up, up on another planet, would that change the willingness to keep eating beef on Earth? Would that make it illegal because we know that it's a species that's capable of it? Hmm. There's many questions I have. <laughs> None of them really make sense, but I have them. We we talked about this a bit in our episode, Magneto was right on environmentalism in Star Trek in terms of animal rights feminism and the idea that when you are in a culture that um, views it okay to exploit animals, um, including for meat, that there tends to be similarities between narratives that of that and narratives that um, legitimate exploiting women. But I thought this was an interesting take on that argument and certainly agree that the way that Vulcan vegetarianism is presented is it's that it's rational and logical, but not that much fun. Mm. But that's also maybe a good segue into another one that we had, which is I like Keiko. And I thought her relationship with O'Brien wasn't completely terrible and was a pretty decent portrayal of a regular, somewhat messy, but ultimately loving long-term relationship. And that was from mm-hmm. Julia. And I will say 
we did have one that was almost diametrically opposed, which was not, the person did not have any issue with Keiko, but did see O'Brien as a bad husband to Keiko. We want to share that one here. Uh, yeah. So how about we, we do the Miles and Keiko block? So if you want to read Melina's, yeah. Okay. Melina on Twitter says, I don't like Miles O'Brien at the best of times. He is very heteronormative and worst of times, straight up prejudiced, which is not wrong. Mm-hmm. And Eleanor also said, in similarly, one of mine is not liking Chief O'Brien and genuinely not understanding his popularity with fans. I find him at best dull, a poor replacement for Garrick in the later DS9 seasons, and at worst problematic, a bad husband to Keiko. It's really amazing how polarizing not just the character, this specific relationship between characters seems to be amongst fans, because mm-hmm. there are people who like them, there are people who hate them, and it's weird to see that... That single character dynamic hit so many different people in so many ways, which is funny because it is kind of an old school, like, TV and media dynamic of the the bitter husband and the nagging wife, mm-hmm. but how it's how it plays differently in this environment. Yeah, and there we have a um, a piece on our Women at Warp blog <laughs> by Michelle that called "Is Keiko O'Brien the Worst?" a, a discourse analysis. And Michelle looked at the way the language is coded, the discussions that these characters had together. And like, I think this is the most commented upon blog piece that we have. Like I said, it gets a lot of opinions. It gets a lot of opinions. And every now and then this, this piece gets picked up and like posted on some forum or Reddit or something somewhere. And there's like a new onslaught of comments. I will say I think that the I like Keiko is definitely an unpopular opinion mm-hmm. that like there is definitely a, a big group of fans who really dislike Keiko. And I think that a lot of that is uh, has at least sexist and racist undertones. I think there are yeah. reasons to say like this was not the best written relationship and that Miles was not a super great husband. It, it feels like a sitcom marriage in a lot of ways where it's like, oh, he can't clean the house. Oh, like wah, they wah. lie to each other constantly because they can't have an honest conversation. Well, and every conversation is focused on how different they are. Yeah. You know, culturally, work-wise, just how they want to interact with the world. Yeah. And it's it's okay to have to not like one character or the other, but people should definitely just take like a question of to what extent is this because I have maybe some problems with this character or with the way that this plays into kind of gendered tropes. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that's totally fine. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. (laughs) Like if it's like, I don't like Keiko because she's such a nag. Yeah. What do you think quantifies being a nag is a question you should ask yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And also, you know, are do you have any problem with Miles? Because I, I feel like in that discourse analysis argument, it shows that, like, they both have some issues. <laughs> so, you know, are you, like, is Miles getting let off the hook for a problematic relationship on both sides? Right. There is one more one we put in our general category that I want to bring up that is, like, a, a one that I very much agree with and, like, is a, a pet opinion <laughs> in some ways uh this is from i'm gonna say drogan on twitter who wrote the best star trek episodes often provide a twist on or outright oppose what people think of as gene's vision 
And that's a good thing. And I am, I'm a hundred percent in for this. In, in yeah. my brain, when I hear people use the phrase Jean's vision or like this, this doesn't match up with Jean's vision, it's like a dog whistle to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Oof. But like when, when you, you stop and you look back at the history of like, when Gene Roddenberry was the most involved with the stories that were in Star Trek, it's not as much as you think. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting that like people are are calling things like Deep Space Nine Gene's vision and the the trek that's being produced now not Gene's vision. Mm-hmm. When like the writers themselves say that Gene would have hated Deep Space Nine. You know? <laughs> so yeah, it's especially funny when if you get a group of five different people together and ask them what Gene's vision is, you will get five different answers mm-hmm. because it's this amorphous concept that there is no strict definition of, but that for some reason seems to change with whoever's talking about it. Gene, Gene's vision is the kind of Star Trek I like. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like I think that there are recurring themes and that it's good sure. to use some of those themes as touchstones around like, so, you know, um, valuing diversity and striving to better ourselves and the rest of humanity, questioning kind of simplistic narratives, uh, social narratives. I, I think that some of those things are, are good touchstones, but they shouldn't be used as straitjackets. Yes. And I think that, you know, we saw some examples of how that could have been really over applied um, in some of the discussions around um, the next generation. And I guess it's the episode where uh, the boy's mother dies that apparently, like, Jean hadn't felt that kids would grieve the loss of their parents on these Starfleet missions in the future. And this was an, uh, like an argument that he lost. And I think most people today would agree like that was probably an argument that was reasonable to lose. Because yeah. if we remove human emotions from all of these stories, we're going to have some really dry stories going forward. It'd be weird if we did act like that, but then still made fun of the Vulcans for being dry. That would be super weird. Mm-hmm. We should also remember that, you know, as as important as Gene was to the legacy of Star Trek, there were a lot of other players behind the scenes on the original series as well that shaped it. And that we shouldn't, I I don't think, reduce the legacy of Star Trek to one person over time ever. Like, we we should take, like I said, take a look at those touch points Mm -hmm. that we value collectively. But when you start seeing it as like a dog whistle that's just used to put down what you don't like, that's when it's a problem. Hear, hear. And one really incredibly important thing to remember is that acknowledging other people's accomplishments does not diminish the accomplishments made by the people you admire. Mm -hmm. You are allowed to acknowledge multiple accomplishments. Yep. If you guys don't mind, I'd like to take a bit of a jump to another opinion here that we've got on TNG. And it's one that I, I definitely have some agreement on. Sarah on Facebook says, Geordi should have been played more as a sex symbol. This is my favorite of all of the feedback we got. I absolutely agree. <laughs> I I have a lot of opinions about the fact that Geordi is seen as kind of a nerdy character, but he is seen as totally kind of inept when it comes to the opposite sex. But we get to see these other characters have romance, like these beautiful romantic plots and these sexy plots. But not for Geordi. Not for Geordi. And it's not fair. Mm-hmm. 
it's not fair to Jordy and it's not fair to, you know, the fact that, and this is a soapbox I will get on as many minutes as the day is long. There's more than one type of person that's allowed to be sexy and to be a sex symbol. And the fact is that we see a specific type of person get to be that type of sex symbol or someone who is gets to have romantic relationships or sexual relationships. And there's a big group of people who we just don't get to see have those on TV. So I am firmly for widening the range of people who we allow to be, you know, have happy, healthy sexual relationships on TV. It's also certainly not fair to the women that he creeps on. No, <laughs> no. Just give Jordy one functioning relationship so we can all stop being creeped out. Yeah. But you make a good point in terms of, you know, having a character with a disability with a functional yeah. sexuality. That would be interesting. And yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm not the biggest fan of the way Jordy's relationships were portrayed. I mean, also would have been fine for him to be a queer character. Mm. Yeah, we're just saying that we need to widen that width and breadth of people who we allow to be considered sexual characters or get to be sex symbols. Because when you make it only a specific group of people, you're telling a rest of the group of people that nobody sees you as sexy. Mm -hmm. You don't get to feel sexy like they do. And that's bullshit. Speaking of queerness, there was a comment from someone going by dubious on Twitter that was a little bit of a threat. I'm just going to go through the whole thing. They wrote, in The Outcast, when Picard put the rules over saving a queer person from being subject to forced conversion, because, well, we tried the legal channels and it didn't work, so what can you do? Always sits in my heart as the defining moment of him as a cowardly moral centrist. Related, Star Trek Discovery having a gay and lesbian characters might have been groundbreaking 15 years ago, but only mentioning bisexuality to make Mira Giorgio look sexually predatory and refusing to include a single trans or non-binary actor in the entire cast is regressive and cowardly. Well, you're not wrong. Not wrong, Dubious. I, I feel like we've got into particularly the second piece during Women Villains Part 3 and our Discovery episodes, uh, the point about uh, Giorgio. Yeah, and that that is a point that I have made on on yes. the podcast and on panels mm-hmm. and gotten feedback from people like, well, are you saying you don't like the scene of them saying they're gay? And I just like, no, <laughs> that's not it. It's that the the bisexuality continues to be an evil characteristic. Yeah. That's the issue. Yeah. It's a deviancy and not a trait. Right. Mm-hmm. Although there, I do want to say, I there have been some rumors that there will be a non-binary, at least, character. Cr- fingers crossed that also the actor is non-binary in season three of Discovery. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're they're at this point, especially on this issue, Star Trek is very much behind the times. I agree with that completely. It's only slightly ahead of Star Wars. Oh, but I did think the point about the outcast and Picard was interesting. And I think, um, you know, I don't want to take away from what what it says about um, Picard's, you know, basically kind of turning uh, his attention away from conversion therapy. But I think it also speaks to a kind of bigger issue around the prime directive and moral relativism and Mm -hmm. white savior complex slash... Ignoring things that aren't convenient for us. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Everyday Fury on Twitter said the Prime Directive is an excuse for the Federation to avoid helping any species they can't directly benefit from. And I put that under TNG because I feel like it is most clear yeah. to me, <laughs> yes. at least on TNG, that you do kind of have these examples. And I, I think the outcast is a fairer moment to say why. In addition to, I think, is not even as bad as Cogenitor, um, where they don't have the Prime Directive, but Archer is just super annoyed that he can't justify intervening. Or like, like He's been like inconveniently made aware of a non-binary person's oppression. Yeah. But another one that bu- bugs me is, um, is it violations where th- at the end where they figure out that it's the dad of these telepaths that's assaulting Troy uh-huh, or yep. the, the son? It's the, the son, yeah. Anyway, they find out who it is and the son. And they're just like, well, there's no law against this. That's the thing, though. I And I feel like that stands out the most in uh, these examples. The times when they are willing to bend the rules, when they are willing to say, no, enough is enough. This is the thing that we have to fight for around the Prime Directive. And when they have to just say, well, our hands are tied. That mm-hmm. speaks so much yeah that those are treated as the non-issues or the inconveniences like that they're you know they're not super okay with it but they're sort of okay with like Nikolai Roshenko just hologramming a bunch of people onto a different place yeah you know so like there's a bunch of examples of questionable prime directive decisions and I think that it, it does make you have to judge them a little bit for adhering to it in cases where human rights are are so clearly the, uh, you know, the repercussion are are going to be uh, of following the prime directive is going to be that there's going to be oppressed groups that will continue to be oppressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That said, understanding that you can totally see the flip side of that, which would be that intervening in these cases would, could also be even more white saviory and be like, we need to go into these places and save all the oppressed people, Mm -hmm. which also kind of happens in TNG. Like I said, I love it, but it's it's not my favorite. Now let's take a break here for a minute and talk about Text Expander. You may have heard us mention it at the beginning of the episode, and we'd like to elaborate on our sponsor a little bit. Save time typing and boost your productivity with Text Expander. Yeah, it's pretty cool. If you t- type something more than three times, you can make it a snippet, and you let Text Expander type it for you in future. You can also make your own snippets on one computer and use them on all your devices. It works on Mac and PC and on Chrome and on iOS so that you are more productive everywhere you type. And there's like a Teams account that, you know, for example, if we wanted to do one for the podcast as a team, we could program in the template for our Facebook posts for our show or the template for our tweets and just save a bit of time typing all that stuff. Or you can do it as an individual. Like I mentioned that I have a set of snippets that correct French words where you tend to mistake the accents. So if you type in the word with no accents, it automatically inserts them all in the correct places for you. And that is very helpful for me for my work. And as people who do a lot of writing up and talking about characters with alien names, it can be really helpful to have that in there. There's also pre-programmed sort of uh, sets of public snippets that you can use. And there's a Star Trek one, and it has things like there's a short uh, code that you can enter. I think it's 
wrong with universe, all one word, and then you hit the tab button and it populates the quote from remember me, if nothing's wrong with me, then maybe there's something wrong with the universe. So very handy. It's very handy if you like us speak mostly in Star Trek quotes. Yeah, so there's a little bit of setup to do when you first get started to like think about, hey, what am I going to use this for? What do I do? Most of the time, like I said, there's the thing where if you type things regularly, um, you can sort of get it to prompt to create new snippets, but also thinking about, you know, where can I save time? And then once you do, these sort of shortcuts help fill in the blanks for you. We have a deal for our listeners, which is 20% off your first year of Text Expander. You can visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more and select Women at Warp from the drop-down menu to let them know that we sent you. Again, that's textexpander.com slash podcast and select Women at Warp from the drop-down menu. So we've done some TNG and we've done a little DS9. How do we feel about doing a Voyager one? Hit sure. It. We've got one. We've got a Kess Williams on Twitter. Janeway did the right thing by separating Tuvix back into Tuvok and Neelix. And I'm like, I wish we had been told more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, elaborate on that, because we're curious about what the thinking here is. This this was another one where we got, you know, the exact opposite. Someone else yeah. said they should have kept two things. <laughs> yeah, I know we've gotten that a lot. I feel like I've heard th- that Janeway made the wrong decision more than Janeway made the right decision. Yeah, yes. that's what I've heard also, I think. But I thought it would be interesting to bring, bring up, because again... It's a really polarizing episode mm-hmm. in terms of there are people who are like, no, that was that was murder. And then people are like, no, that was the right thing. And it is so curious, again, to see which episodes turn out to be the super polarizing ones like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's often used as an example of like Janeway's a bad captain. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I don't agree with. But um, I remember when I first watched this episode when I was a kid, I thought it was totally the right decision. And going back to watch it, I just see it as based on the conversations that Janeway and Kess have. It does seem kind of selfish. Yeah. But maybe it would like if it would make more sense if like his molecules were disintegrating and but he still didn't want to go back. Like he wasn't stable or something. Yeah. Like he was going to die, but he still didn't want to go back or something like that would be interesting and more, maybe more ambiguous. Maybe it was more of a you guys could have written that better situation. I think it would have been, I mean, this is not how TV's shows were done at the time, but I think it could have been, it would have been nice if they were able to have Tuvix around for like a couple episodes Mm -hmm. and like while they tried to figure it out and, and see him maybe like struggle to fit in or not actually be able to do, I'm, I'm tying myself in circles, but like, and then have like a cellular degrade thing happening yeah because i i think part of why that episode is so like visceral for some people is because it does happen so quickly yeah and then never addressed again Mm -hmm. yeah like this is the kind of decision that janeway should be thinking about for the rest of her life after she's made it and it's just nope it's one episode. Anyway, I would be happy to hear more about why Janeway did the right thing in case I'm just missing a piece. And either way, it's totally cool to have that opinion. Yeah. I will throw in an original series one. Ooh. I, I, I would say we had a, a fair number of people ranking TOS movies type comments. Yeah. One 
from Regina Rohde on Instagram was, Wrath of Khan is not the be-all or end-all of the movies. I think I'm the only tracker in all of existence that isn't a fan of that film. And uh, the rationale is, I don't think Khan is that great of a villain. Khan feeling, or Kirk feeling old and out of place is a total 180 from the motion picture. And if I have to hear someone yell, Khan, one more time, I'm punching a hole in the wall. Spock's death and funeral is still powerful, but it's undercut retroactively. You are definitely not the only one to have that opinion, because I saw it on Facebook, I saw it on Instagram, I saw it on Twitter. But I I do hear the, like, why, I do still think that's an unpopular opinion overall, like, almost every list you see of the of the uh, ranking the Trek movies will put Wrath of Khan at the top. I think it's sort of like some people said that, you know, maybe people are picking City on the Edge of Forever as their favorite episode only because they think it's the quote unquote right answer. And I think that we get that with Wrath of Khan as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We also had a comment from Sue via Facebook. Not me. Said, I think the voyage home is overrated and the final frontier is hilarious and showcases the relationship between Kirk, Spock and McCoy. So we also had a fair number of people who think the Voyage Home is overrated. You know it's not me because Voyage Home is my favorite. <laughs> but that was the only person that justified why the Final Frontier is better. <laughs> so, Yes, give us, give us something to back up that opinion with. Give us something to work with here. And we will respect your very, very different opinion. <laughs> I agree that it's a great ensemble showcase for Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yeah, I don't necessarily think it's a better film than Voyage Home, but I I think that that's a totally I think that's the my favorite part of the Final Frontier, and I do think it's hilarious. Although I'm not sure it was intended to be as hilarious as it is. Yeah, so I'm gonna pull out a Discovery one here. I know I feel like this is wading into like more controversial territory because it's current, but do it. Pax Federatica, sure. On Twitter, wrote, as admirable as Discovery's Captain Pike is, melding such a flawless officer and a gentleman character with the white male all-American archetype that Pike embodies to a T makes him arguably the most retrograde character we've seen so far in this new era of Star Trek. That is put so well and exactly my hang-up with a Pike-Spock show. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a very good point, yeah. I think that when we talked about season two of Discovery, we talked about how one, maybe one of the most frustrating things is that as much as, as I found it was very enjoyable to watch the Enterprise crew, that they weren't actually necessary to the story at all. <laughs> and that it does make me uneasy as much as like I think Anson Mount's incredible as Pike. Um, I think Ethan Beck is great as Spock. I like Rebecca Romain as number one. But you're right away looking at starting off a show with three white leads after you've, I think, made some really big strides forward with diversity on Discovery. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have some some similar. I would say it makes me uneasy to talk about that, and yeah, I mean it's challenging. Like I'm not saying you can never have a white male lead again, but you also just have Picard. And you shouldn't be like, we've checked the box with Discovery and now we can move on, right? Just consider the ratio you have. Yeah, yeah. And consider that you're also like kind of making up for 50 years of putting mostly white guys in charge. Right. You're yeah. you're recreating an idea from 1966 mm-hmm. when there have been 50 years of change mm-hmm. since that time. Yeah. yeah. So like I'm... 
cautiously optimistic that if they really cared enough about representation that they could balance it out with characters like, you know, the ensign that we see in the short treks Mm -hmm. and uh, some of the navigators that they had. They have like a woman of color engineer and stuff um, that we see in Discovery. But I am just not 100% confident that they're really thinking about that that hard as a problem. Yeah, hard to disagree with that, definitely. Well, I feel like we had a lot about Chakotay 7, so I'm going to yeah. throw that out there. Yeah, might as well. And even though I think we had a fair number of people defending the Chakotay 7 relationship, I do still agree that it qualifies for the topic of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Liz on Facebook said Chakotay 7 was a good concept, poorly executed. And we had a very passionate defense by Trekkie Katie on Instagram of how the episode Human Error really sold the relationship for her. And then curator of Twitter says, Chakotay slash seven could have been a beautiful example of maturing beyond fear slash prejudice into love, a very Trek message. So basically, I think, and we had a couple other people say, you know, I'm also in favor of this relationship. And I do think that most fans, including me, do not generally speak favorably of it. So validate those opinions. <laughs> it's one where I could, uh, I wasn't personally a fan, but at the same time, there's a lot of arguing you can do on behalf of if we had a good, the right writer, or the right story for this, it could have worked. And I do believe it could have been a lot better than it was. And that's something I'd be will an idea I'd definitely be willing to contemplate. That said, for, for what it was, I'd, didn't enjoy it very much. Yeah, I think I can get behind the this could have worked yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it would have had to start right at the beginning. Because to me, what makes it not work is not just that it seems kind of shoehorned in at the end. Yeah. But it's also that Chakotay starts out saying very paternalistic things about her. Yeah. So if you go back to the very beginning of when Seven was introduced, the conversations Chakotay and Janeway have about Seven are very parental. And it is weird to imagine him starting to see her as a love and sex interest going forward after that background. Yeah, I mean, I mm, at the same time, there is a very strong Janeway Seven fandom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That... I think many members of it find that dynamic appealing. Yeah. But I think it is, you know, so I think it's a little bit different that it's non-canon. Yeah. And for me, like, I will, I I think, like, that fans going, uh, creating particularly queer ships outside of canon is a long-established tradition. And to me... I'm not going to, like, problematize those pieces of it. Mm -hmm. But if it had been canon that Janeway was with Seven, I also would have questioned that. Mm -hmm. Because she's... And also Chakotay are commanding officers who also started out seeing her as a parent. And I think those dynamics can happen in relationships, but whether Mm -hmm. they should be sanctioned, that that type of power dynamic should be sanctioned in particularly the Voyager era of Star Trek that was... yeah. Trying to be, I guess, you know, trying to set some more clear lines there. I think that's more questionable. The thing about Seven of Nine in relationships for me is that when we see her on on Voyager, like discovering her humanity, yes, she is technically an adult, 
but she has yeah. been a Borg since she was, what, six? She, ha- she has a stunt and is in a stunted state of adulthood. Right. She's really in adolescence. And I think mm-hmm. that yeah. is often reinforced because she is paired up with Naomi Wildman so much. Yeah. Yep. So that's what makes that relationship much more uncomfortable for me. Yeah. However, like, it, it certainly is something I, I think I am also behind the idea that it could have been executed better. It could have mm-hmm. been done well. Could it could have been done less abruptly. Right. Yep. But I don't I don't mind it as part of this character's past now that she is also in a new show. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. like people explore, right? That's part yeah. of what you do when you you when you are figuring yourself out. And yeah. like if this is her first if this is like her first relationship, I am not bothered that 20 some odd years later seven is not still with chakotay you know i'm also not even as bothered by the fact that they like date a bit as it is by like the end game thing that like they end up together and then when she dies he can't deal Mm -hmm. and like that type of and they're together for everything i remember watching this as a teenager and just feeling like holy that's a lot of pressure to put on someone that's never had an adult relationship yeah it's kind of irresponsible pressure also i mean how does she have any definition of what a good relationship would constitute to you know decide to be with the first partner she's ever had and all she knows of this when all she knows of humanity is this couple hundred people on this spaceship that's messed up i'm gonna go into the danger zone and pick a discovery one we got from tara on facebook Edward was right. Tribbles would make an excellent food source. <laughs> this goes back to that eating meat thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can't say they've got, like, any kind of sentience, can we? Or at least, like, not much. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if if they're non-sentient and we're especially pre-replicator, I'm here for it. Yeah, I mean... It could definitely save a lot of problems when it comes to the environmental impact we have of, you know, the current meat industry. So so think about it. Think about it is what I'm saying. Yeah. I'll jump to uh, back to DS9 for a minute uh, with a mm-hmm. comment from Joseph on Twitter, who wrote, I love the Esri Dax character. Esri was yeah. underdeveloped and had so much potential. Seeing her try to make sense of everything after Jadzia was so together and confident was refreshing. I'm here for it. I think it's it's the same, like, Seven of Nine situation, right? Where you're trying to figure it all out. The problem is that with Ezri, we only get one season. And I really, I really do appreciate the character for what she got to be. But I think we probably would have liked her a lot more if we'd gotten more than one season. And if it hadn't been such a sudden changeover at the end of the series. Yeah, I think a lot of the hate Ezri gets is sadness over losing Jadzia. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. And I think also maybe a, a bit of resentment that there was a lot, there was so much to cover in that last season, mm-hmm. but yeah. we had to spend a lot of time on Esri stories to get us up to speed with that character. And I think yeah. most of it was time well used, but I think some people were hoping to like dig more into what's going on in Cardassia and what's going on in the Dominion and stuff like that. Also to say nothing about all of the emotional time and energy we've sunk into the character of Jadzia and not getting to see her finish out the show. I'm sure there's a level of resentment there. Yeah, I will also actually uh, shout out, well, this is not necessarily just DS9. Jenny did not comment whether it was DS9 or not. 
Uh, Jenny says, I don't mind Section 31. I kind of like seeing the dark underbelly of the post-scarcity utopia. So DS9 slash Discovery. And I also, I would say, I think a fair number of people appreciate the Section 31 storyline or they wouldn't have kept bringing it back. But I do hear it scapegoated a lot, especially around Discovery as like, this is too dark. And that, you know, Starfleet should be above all this. But I agree. I also don't mind Section 31. I think that it forces us, even especially in the earlier incarnation in DS9, really forces us to question the trade-offs that we make for the sense of security and privilege that we have now. If we aren't questioning that, then we probably don't deserve what we've gotten. And that's just kind of a sad truth of humanity that there is always a dark side to things. Mm-hmm. And ignoring it or pretending it isn't there does not seem to do so good. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would, I don't think it's associated with the post scarcity utopia as much as it is associated with like our world today. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think in Discovery, it's a little bit different because it, I feel it goes so quickly into being this whole thing with control and stuff. Mm hmm that we don't really get a good sense of what it looks like other than sort of manipulating the war in the first season. But um, I think it actually works the best in Deep Space Nine. We get it in, in Enterprise as well, and it's, it's okay. Well, I have a TNG one that Ooh. I'll just read it from Trisha on Twitter, <laughs> who wrote, yeah. I came to hate Data after a while. It was the same storyline over and over with him. Nothing against Brent Spiner. He's awesome. But the other characters deserved more. Jordy, Deanna, Beverly. And it's unfair how they were sidelined in the movies while he was always center stage. And um, this is one I certainly have come around to, or even came around to in in the in the films. I definitely like thought of Data as one of my favorite characters while TNG was airing, but like towards the end of it, especially towards the end of the seventh season, I I remember feeling like, oh, it's another Data episode. Okay, fine. And even Picard is another Data episode. (laughs) I mean, it is true that Data was definitely one of the characters that they were trying to push as, like, main main, one of the main main characters. Oh, for sure. Plot-wise. Yeah. And, like, Brent Brent was masterful in in a lot of the, the acting work he did on the show. No doubt about that. But, like, when... Uh, TNG is, like, one of its failings from a production standpoint in my opinion this might be unpopular is that it was not an ensemble cast as much as it could Mm -hmm. have been yeah i hear a cat agreeing with us (laughs) that's the cat being like it's dinner time (laughs) the cat is saying my unpopular opinion is that odo was underrated Aw, I'm going to pick one out, another TNG one, because we got a lot of them. Lucy on Facebook said, although Wesley Crusher can come across as annoying to some, as a kid watching Star Trek, he was a great role model. He taught me it was okay to be clever, and in areas where you're not so clever, go and ask and learn. Be curious, have confidence. People will knock you down, but you will get back up again. And we saw him fail a lot. The boy wonder who actually didn't get into the academy the first time, and then who left before graduating. Seconded by Diana also. And yeah, I, I definitely think if I'd watched TNG as a younger kid, I Wesley probably would have been my favorite character, you know, mm. in terms of there's 
being a precocious kid, and then there's being a precocious kid around adults and around children. It can be different. And if you're in an environment where you're being seen as a precocious kid only in comparison to other kids around you, you're probably going to get called annoying a couple times. And that is that is a fact of life right there. Well, especially if you're the only kid. He's like pretty much the, you know, stereotypical like homeschool kid who is only yeah, hanging out with adults. Absolutely. Yeah. And is coming across kind of as perfect all the time. Well, and I, early on, they give him the like, ugh, adults lines, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. literally, that is a line he says. And the, I feel <laughs> weird, but also good. Like, he, he gets some really not great lines early on there. Yeah. Or, right, there's there's one where he like figures out something and takes it to, to Beverly and Deanna, and they leave to go tell the rest of the crew. And he goes, you're welcome, ladies. <laughs> Oh, Wesley. Uh, I think Wesley is fun, but as a kid, when I was watching it, I didn't notice anything, like, annoying about it or anything. I just thought he's just a member of the crew like anyone else. And I I do really like the point that they did not keep him on this, like, boy wonder path. That Mm -hmm. we did see him fail. We saw him mess up. We saw him release, you know, nanites. And the fact that this, this thing we see this kid have the desire to do, he wants to go to the academy and be an officer. And be just like Captain Picard. And he realizes that's not for him. Yeah. We get to see the character grow a lot. Yeah, we have a supposedly aspirational character who decides that Starfleet's not for him, after all. Yeah. Well, this may be an unpopular opinion, but I think we're about done for this episode. I mean, I could be doing this for ages, but we do have to stop at some point. We can always have a sequel. You can hear more of our individual unpopular opinions when you find us online. Jara, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin or at TrekkieFeminist.com. And Sue, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And you can find me on Twitter at BonecrusherJank. That's B-O-N-E-C-R-U-S-H-E-R-J-E-N-K. I realized recently I never actually spell it out, and I should probably do that once or twice. <laughs> You can find me there telling my opinions to the ether, as I do often. All of our individual Twitter accounts are also listed in the bio for the Women at Warp Twitter account. Yes. And to learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.